0: Welcome to Wise Women Speak with Linda Pritchard and Lana Bastianuti, where we give voice to the wisdom in women. Hi, Linda. Hi, Lana. How are you this morning?
1: I'm well. Good. And you? I'm beautiful, very well. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful morning oh, I, here.
0: Oh, I thought you meant I was beautiful. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you are. But oh,
0: why? You're so sweet. Um...
1: <laughs> when prompted. Yes. <laughs> Today,
0: we are lucky enough to have the fabulous Marjan Kamali, who is an author in Massachusetts. Um, But let me read her bio because it's absolutely fascinating. So Marjan Kamali was born in Turkey to Iranian parents and grew up in seven countries across five continents. Her debut novel, Together Tea was a Massachusetts Book Award finalist, an NPR WBUR Goodread, and a Target Emerging Author selection. Marjon graduated from UC Berkeley and earned an MBA from Columbia University and an MFA from NYU. Her short stories appear in the anthologies Let Me Tell You Where I've Been and Tremors, and she's written essays for the Wall Street Journal and the Los Angeles Review of Books. Her novel, Together Tea, has been translated into Italian, German, Norwegian, Czech, and Slovak, and was recently adapted for the stage. Her second novel, The Stationery Shop, will be published by Simon & Schuster in 2019. We're looking forward to that one. Marjan has taught writing at Boston University and currently teaches at Grub Street, the nation's largest creative writing center. She lives with her husband and two children in the Boston area. So welcome, Marchant. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. In preparing for this interview, I remember reading that you didn't deliberately want to be a writer, but you loved to, to read. Mm-hmm. And I also remember reading that um, because you've been to so many places throughout your life, you you never really felt like you had a home. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there's sort of an intersection between finding home and finding your voice and using your voice as writing um, your stories and things that inspire you. Is that a form of home to you?
2: Yes, I mean, there definitely is a connection. So just from the bio, you could tell I lived in so many different places. Yes. Um, And I, I found my sense of home literally in my home like my house with my family, but never in a country Mm -hmm. or a region. And then starting at a young age, I just developed this, I would say, obsession with reading. So I was always reading books when I was a kid. And, you know, people would tell me, get your nose out of the book, you're hunching, you know, be in the present, the way we tell kids now to not be in looking at their phones. Um, But I just found reading to be my absolute favorite activity. And then as I was growing up and trying to find a sense of home, um, initially I tried so hard to find it in like a physical place. But eventually I realized that my home really is with language. And then my love of of reading turned into sort of a love of writing. And I think that's common for a lot of writers because... You almost want to give the experience that shaped you so much back to other people by writing a book. So that's really how it's all connected. And I really find my home still in books and in literature.
0: Mm. Do you find when you're writing that you lose yourself?
2: Yes, on the good days. (laughs) days. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, some days you sit and you don't lose yourself and you just keep thinking about the laundry or your to-do list or all the other things you have to do, and those are not the best days. Some days you sit and something takes over. Yeah. Usually it's the characters who take over, and those are the best days. Those are the days when it's a sense of discovery and things happen that you don't don't know how they happened, and you're taken by surprise, and you end up being, you know, shocked, like, oh, my God, she died? I didn't think she was going to die. And those are the best days. That's when you really lose yourself, and that's the high that keeps you going back to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when she dies, that mm-hmm. just is something or something dramatic like that. That's just something that comes out of you, like yeah. in the moment.
2: On the good days. Yeah. On the good days when you get in the flow, yeah, you get in the flow and um, things start to happen and characters do things that you didn't expect and you as a writer are just as surprised or moved as maybe one day a reader will be. I'm not saying every day's like that. No,
1: no. Yeah. And that's that's part of the um, navigating the ups and downs, you know, when you have clarity and then when your mind gets kind of overwhelmed, probably thinking about the laundry or the mm-hmm. other things you have to do. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage to to move between those two places? Do you ever get really caught up where you get stuck or do you know that, the flow will return, and so you Mm. feel secure that even if it's for a little bit of time or a long period of time, that it always will return.
2: Well, it took me a long time to understand that that sense of flow and that kind of adrenaline high doesn't occur all the time and that if it doesn't occur it doesn't mean you should stop. Right. Okay. I think in my twenties I thought that every time I sat down the magic had to happen. Mm -hmm. And every time I sat down I had to produce incredible work. And if I didn't I would get discouraged and it would make it harder to sit down the next time. And I think it really took me years to realize that you have to sit down and do your work anyway. And sometimes the magic will happen. It's like tapping into this vein of like just magical potion. And sometimes it doesn't, but I think I've learned that
1: regardless, you have to show up. Yeah. Do you, do you write every day? Do you make that kind of a discipline? Does it seem, and does that seem like work I, I do not. Just play.
2: I do not write every day. And I know there's this huge mantra mm-hmm. uh, where writers say the only way to do it is you should write every day. Uh-huh. Um, however, <laughs> I believe most of those writers are maybe men who have like three wives each because most yeah. of my female author friends – Um, who are raising a family cannot write every day. It just doesn't happen. Um, And that's the other thing I learned. I used to think if I'm not writing every day, then I'm not a writer. Mm. And that would again, kind of stymie the progress in my 20s and even in my 30s. And then I realized, you really don't need to write every day. You just need to write, you know, in a In a sort of schedule that's right for you, and that's different for everybody, there is no one-size-fits-all.
1: I love that. That, It's so important. It's so true.
0: Especially, I don't know, women sometimes are really rule-bound. Like, we think there's there's only one right way to do something, Mm -hmm. and then we feel like if we can't manage that within our lives, well... We make meaning out of it. We say, well, I guess it's never meant to be, or I'm not meant to be a writer, or I'm doing it wrong, so it's not going to be any good. And we talk our, ourselves out of doing what we feel drawn to do. Yes. And it's such a waste. Yeah.
2: It is, and it's a mistake, because it's a fallacy to begin with. Mm-hmm. You don't need to write every day yeah. to be an author. And I know plenty of successful authors who do not write every day, but... Um, but if writing every day is what works for you, then that's great and that's yeah. what you should do. It's, I really think it's having enough confidence in your skills and what you're contributing to understand that you do it your way. You know. Yeah. You do you. Yeah. And <laughs> there is no um, you know, overall formula that works. However, the only formula that does work and that I feel it you have to adhere to is you do have to do it. Right. Yeah. The, the books won't write themselves. Hmm.
0: <laughs> 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 write that one down Write <laughs> that one, yes. Um you mentioned confidence and I'm I'm curious, does your confidence waver uh between whatever states of mind you happen to be in? Sure, sure. I mean I think
2: most writers, I would say probably most creative artists are filled with self doubt.
1: Yes. Um
2: <laughs> writers especially because we do something on our own for hours on end days on end months years on end that may never see the light of day we don't get feedback or recognition right away often takes years usually and so your confidence does waver and we're also living in a society that doesn't necessarily reward us financially for our efforts. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not like you are told that this is the best vocation to follow by your parents who are worried about you maybe having a stable profession. So confidence does waver. But I think, again, I learned that that's part of the game. That's part of the package. I don't know a single writer, um, no matter what stage of their career they're in, who doesn't have self-doubt.
1: Yeah. And being okay with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important thing. Mm -hmm. Lana was saying earlier that often people get really tripped up because they think that it should be one way. And you were saying this before about how when you were younger, you thought it was really critical to to always have success the minute that you sat down. I mean, success in your own mind, like I'm creating something, it's working well, I feel good about it. Right. And just to realize that that's not really, that's not the human condition. Our Mm -hmm. thinking rises and falls. And to be at ease with that is something it sounds like you've come to an understanding of. And that's serving you well as a writer because you just continue to write.
2: Yes. And I think, you know, that sense of perfectionism that I had in my early 20s, it often led to paralysis. Yes. Because I thought, here I am, I'm sitting down to write and what I need to produce has to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. And as I tell my students now, it's never brilliant on the first try ever, ever. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon when you hit that magical state. But usually you go through so many drafts of things. So much ends up on the cutting room floor. Um, you have bad days. You have good days. And again, it took me years to kind of understand that that's all part of the process and it's all valuable Mm -hmm. you know I used to think the bad days were a complete and utter waste to the point that I would stop doing it Um, but now I realize that they are all valuable and you know if you're trying to be so perfect on the page from the get-go you're just going to paralyze yourself and
0: freeze
1: it's so valuable to yeah, hear. Yeah,
0: it is very valuable to hear. Absolutely. Especially for young women to hear mm-hmm. this when they're first starting out and they think everything has to be perfect. We're right in the middle of graduation for a lot of kids. And I'm sure they're yeah. paralyzed Paralyzed in terms of, well, what do I do? Uh, you know, I have to get the perfect job. I have to create the perfect career. So their confidence, I'm sure, takes quite a bit of a hit. I'm curious, when you're in flow, does that also come for you with just Confidence, you—you're just like you don't even have to think about it. You're just there.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you're in flow, um, I don't even know if you're feeling confident because it's almost like it's not you. Mm-hmm. You know, those days when you finish your work for the day, you look at it and you're like, "Thank you, whoever did that." Yeah, right. Um. So it's not even that you're feeling confident. It's almost like you're not feeling. Um. The characters take over. Um, those are, you know, really good days, but though not every day is like that. And I think a lot of the things that I'm saying about writing could be almost an analogy for those young people who are graduating at this time of year because you're not going to get it right the first time. And with my writing students, I always say to them, in your first draft, there are no mistakes because they stop writing because they're worried they're going to make a mistake and that it's yeah. bad and i often tell them i'm like it's supposed to be messy and you're supposed to make mistakes and that's why it's called a first draft and i i think you know you're not going to get certain things right um from the get-go even in things like uh, maybe picking a major or going for a career or mm. even marriages whatever
1: yeah Yeah, I think uh, there's so much pressure because it appears as though it's really an outside-in world Mm -hmm. and that everything is being created outside and we're just reacting to it. Mm -hmm. And yet what you're pointing to is the richness of the interior world and the the being in the flow creation process is an inside out process. Mm -hmm. You're in the moment, you're fresh with fresh ideas, Mm -hmm. and then you're just creating. And too often people get stuck in that outside in thinking that it's everything outside that's really dictating how it's going to be. And if they get trapped there, they don't really produce much that's creative and wonderful and really makes it out into the world ultimately. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And when, when you're writing a story, whether it's a short story or a novel, the definition of it is that you're kind of leaving this world. Yeah. And you're creating another world. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're too hung up on those outside sort of social markers and Everything going on in social media now and all that, then there's no way you can access that inner world. It's getting harder and harder to do.
0: Yeah, I can. I can imagine. I mean, we, yeah. you know, with Instagram and the social media, I, I think it's it's really a struggle for younger people to to know that their value comes from within, within their own thinking and not from outside validation. And you referenced outside validation, the feedback you get. Mm -hmm. But I know from my own experience, depending on that cripples you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really cripples you.
2: Oh, yeah. No book would ever be written because very few people get that validation Mm -hmm. as they write chapter one, maybe after you've written a few books.
1: Yeah, it's not a collaborative process. It isn't. It's singular. Though
2: it's becoming more so now with writing programs, and a lot of people are in writer's groups, Mm -hmm. and part of the reason for that is because it is such a solitary vocation that if you're in a writer's group, it does become more collaborative, and you do get the feedback. Mm -hmm. And for many people, that's a support system that
1: they value your novel, Together Tea, Mm -hmm. is really semi-autobiographical, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, would you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of first novels are semi-autobiographical, and it's almost like you have to get it out of your system to move on. And
1: That's fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, and that makes so much sense, yeah.
2: Yeah, because most people have one thing that they're kind of wrestling with for that first novel, and then they get it out of their system, and then you can explore other topics. So for me, it was definitely semi-autobiographical because the main character is Iranian-American, as am I. Um, She experiences the aftermath of the revolution and the beginning of the war in Iran in the 1980s, as did I. Unlike her, though, I didn't grow up in Iran. I went back after the revolution. But we have other similarities. She went to Columbia Business School. So did I. However, her mother makes spreadsheets to find her the perfect husband. And my mother did not do that. Everybody <laughs> asks me.
1: I bet they do. Yeah, I know. That's she a fascinating not. and funny part of the book. Yes, yeah. yes.
2: It was fascinating to write this book because there are parts of it that are straight out of my life and there are parts of it that I completely made up and when I visit book clubs sometimes the parts that happened to me people will say I don't know that was a bit unrealistic (laughs) and then the things that I thought were farcical they think are the real things so it just shows you how crazy our lives are
1: yeah and just
0: uh, how... separate realities. <laughs> yes. Everybody's got their own reality going yeah. on. Yeah. Right. That is so unrealistic. <laughs> right, right.
1: I know that's the perfect example, it isn't is a perfect it? perfect example,
0: yeah. yeah. You have a second novel coming out. Yes. I'm really excited to read it because yeah. I adored your first novel. Yeah, it's such oh, a beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So, can you tell us a little bit about your second novel?
2: I sure can. Um, it's a love story, it's about two teenagers who fall in love. In 1953, and they are set to get married, but they get separated on the eve of their marriage during the coup d'état in Iran in 1953. And then they reunite 60 years later when they're 77 in Massachusetts. And it it's about heartbreak and loss and finding the truth and coming to terms with the past and healing. And it was an amazing journey to write this book because unlike Together Tea, it is not um, autobiographical in many respects. I mean, I didn't live through the coup of 53. Um, You know, I had to get into the mindset of people in their late 70s. Um, But in a way, it was almost more fun to write, though I don't like to compare books because they're like your children. You don't love one more than the other. But... um, I'm very, very excited about this book, and it was inspired by this reading I did. I did a reading for Together Tea, um, and someone asked if I could visit an assisted living center to read there, so I did, and there was a man in a wheelchair, and he was old, and he kept saying, I met the Queen of England, I met the Prince of Spain, and everyone who was organizing the reading kept shushing him and being like, please be quiet, please be quiet stop, don't bother the author and I was interested in him I said, what's your name? And he told me his name and he said I met the Queen of England, I met the Prince of Spain and then a few months later um, I went home for Thanksgiving and I was talking to my father and this man who had said all those things was Iranian, so I mentioned his name to my dad and because my dad claims he knows every Iranian living in the US that he doesn't but you know
1: Let um, him have it, let him have right. it yes. <laughs>
2: I mentioned his name, and my dad said, Oh, he was one of our most decorated foreign dignitaries. Really? He oh met the gosh. Queen of England, <gasps> he met the Prince of Spain, and he told me all about his career.
1: Oh, my God.
2: And then I just sat there thinking, What are we doing to our older people? This man is in a wheelchair in an assisted living center. And he's telling the truth about his experiences, and he's being dismissed, yeah, right off the bat, so that's what inspired me to write a book about um someone who's older in the opening scenes, though ultimately then we go back to when they're young and you know cover the love story
1: oh that's a that's beautiful inspiration. Yeah.
2: That's you what never inspired know where it. it's going to come yeah, from. Yeah, you really do. You? Don't. Yeah. But he really touched me because his story touched me. Yeah. And the fact that he's sitting there and no one's really listening. Listening.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know what that reminds me of? It it reminds me that you know, you you walk along the streets and and you sort of dismiss people or you just walk by them and you forget that everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's something absolutely fascinating about every single person out there. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: Everybody has a story.
0: Thank you, Marjan, for sharing your story. We look forward to your second book coming up, The Stationery Shop. And shall we
1: have her back? I think we should definitely have Marjan back. This has been a beautiful interview. We've really appreciated you being with us today. And I'm sure our listeners are going to feel the same way. Yeah, such wise women. Yeah. So until then, Lana this has been Wise Women Speak. Bye for now, Lana. Bye, Linda. You've been listening to Wise Women Speak. If you'd like to hear more, please go to wisewomenspeakpodcast.com or find us on iTunes.